0: You're listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. It is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events. My guest today was Keith Walter Dow from Dead Reckoning Collective. Uh, what a great time talking to him. You know, Dead Reckoning Collective has, if not been the pioneer of for the veterans writing movement uh, in the GWAT years, it has certainly been on the forefront of it, um, both with their publishing, their educational outreach, the workshops that they do, the prompts that they put out on social media. Um, they have really um, helped engineer a new generation of veteran writers, and it's still going. Um, you know, I mean, they're still early in the process, and it's still developing. And a lot of that is due, obviously, to Keith's efforts. So I was thrilled to be able to sit down and talk with him about that evolution, about his personal story um, as a writer and as a soldier, and um, and talk about how all that's come together. So a great time. I'm, there's one little piece of housekeeping that I should probably mention. Uh, throughout the episode, I realized we talked a bunch about P.B. Abate without really explaining what it is and um, I'll have the links in the episode so everybody can track it but that was the that is the veterans nonprofit organization set up by Marine officer Thomas Schumann um, to combat PTSD and veteran suicide through veteran interest groups and a really interesting organization uh, we've mentioned it before on the show but in case anybody's listening today when we kind of casually uh tossed around mentions of it and weren't tracking what that is. That's what we were talking about. Um, Keith came into the episode right before we went on air. He said, uh, he said, oh man, I you know had the most brutal migraine this morning and uh, I nodded and pressed record. So uh, bear, that, bear that in mind uh, during the episode. Uh, he was a great sport to give us a bunch of time uh, when he was still recovering from that. Uh, but Man, it was a fun episode, and I think it'll be really informative for everybody to hear um, really uh, about how the sausage is made when it comes to the veterans' writing movement. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the Artistic Director of VetRep, and this is the Savage Wonder of Keith Walter Dow.
1: All right, we're live, Keith. Beautiful. How are you? I'm good,
0: man. I'm good. Um, sorry, I caught you on a migraine day. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. It's wonderful. <laughs> so, is this a day in, day out job for you now?
1: Dead uh, Man, I wear a lot of hats. Um, yeah, I'm, it seems like it. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, this is for sure one of them. Um, I, I also uh, work with Hunter Seven Foundation. Oh yeah, um, right on. So uh, we started. I started a relationship with them uh, when we chose them as beneficiaries for uh, Warren After. Um, and at the time, um, I happened to. For anybody that doesn't know, Warren After is the second uh, poetry anthology that we released. So um, we those projects we uh, we donate all the all the funds to some veteran charity or nonprofit, um, and Hunter Seven Foundation happens to be the one. Um, 107 foundation, uh, is a, like a veteran research organization. Uh, but we also do a lot of patient advocacy and stuff like that for veterans suffering from toxic exposure related illness. Um, so yeah, I jumped, I jumped in with them when we chose them as beneficiaries. Cause they were like, Hey, if we can ever do anything for you. And I was like, well, I mean, actually I need uh, a field placement like next week. Uh, <laughs> cause I was scrambling cause of COVID. Yeah. Um, yeah nobody was taking students and and it was really hard. So,
0: And because uh, that's because you're going for your master's in social work, right?
1: Yeah. I'm doing a master's in social work. Um, And so, so that's another one of the hats that I wear. Um, And, uh, and just, you know, I, I I stay busy. Yeah.
0: (laughs) No, it seems like it. When I read, when I read the bios uh, for you and Tyler initially, I was like, man, these guys are juggling an awful lot. Um, Let me start kind of with a 30,000 foot view. You guys really are the godfathers of the veteran literary scene in many respects, are you not? You've kind of um, enabled and fostered an awful lot of this. Not that people weren't already writing, but you formalized yeah. it. You gave a platform where maybe no formal platform necessarily existed for publication.
1: We give, we give a platform. Um, godfathers is. I mean, we make a joke that like we're we're the Suge Knights of uh, of poetry, but like we, um, <laughs> it's like. Uh, to I mean, to make that claim there, there are people and we're very much re- reinventing the wheel. You know, that's something that I like to bring up a lot. There were, there were guys from the the Vietnam generation who were doing almost exactly what we're doing. Um, we didn't know about it when we started it. Now it, it has made more sense. Um, now that we've established some things, but uh, you mean, they were, they were actually
0: starting a publishing company and there trying were to publish lots veteran's of work there were lots of small presses and stuff
1: huh. um, that came out of that generation. Um, I mean, what a poetry to do without social media though. Dude, it's, Jesus. it's pretty wild to think about, you know, it's a, it's a really cool tool. Sometimes it's really limiting too. Um, you know, I think sometimes people get caught in the echo chambers and, sure. um, and for me personally, like when I'm working, you know, one of the downfalls of social media, I think for some people, and they probably don't even realize it when I'm working on a project, I don't like to look at a lot of other people's shit. Um, You know, it's really, it's really hard for me. Uh, Maybe it's just more paranoia than anything, but it's hard for me to, to say for sure that like, I'm not influenced by something. Um, And so with social media, that's all you've got. Um, And it's, I mean, it's also really cool in, in that, like, you can surround yourself with creative people in a virtual environment. Um, It's definite
0: upside and downside. I know for me, like, I don't even like to watch TV shows I've never seen before. If I'm (laughs) writing something. Because mm-hmm. I go hey, I, I can't have any new voices. I can't no original thoughts that aren't coming from inside me. If I get it from outside, I feel like it messes with me. But that's also my own psychological issue. But I feel yeah. like that's what you're talking about, right? With social for media, sure.
1: All those I mean, external influences. Be, yeah, you're gonna be influenced some way or another. So it's um I mean, you know, typically like if I'm working on a poetry project, I, I won't be reading other poetry. Like I'll read other yeah. other stuff, you know, I'll read I'll read a novel, I'll read um, you know, some sort of nonfiction work. And how easy is that for you? I mean, your
0: role at dead reckoning is correct me if I'm wrong. You're mostly acquisitions, right? You can stay away Mm -hmm. from the creative, like the seeing how the sausage is made and getting away from getting buried in someone else's voice too much. Right.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting for sure. Uh, I have, um, limited capacity with some things uh, it's, I mean, it's harder for me, like even when I'm in school to read anything past my textbook. So, mm. uh, which is actually why I pick up a lot more poetry than I used to um, poetry and like short bit philosophy stuff. Um, I actually just started uh, Frank Bill's uh, crimes in Southern Indiana last night. Cause it's all like 10 page stories. Yeah. Um, Cause Easily I've been- digestible. Yeah, I've just been really, I've been on a, a kind of a fiction kick. Um, I read a bunch of Stephen Graham Jones, uh, recently, uh, cause I, apparently I like horror now. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, just, I, I like changing it up too. Um, you know, we fall into into these patterns and stuff and it's, it's good to get outside your comfort zone a little bit. Have you been a reader your whole life? Was that something instilled in you early on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's a cheap hobby. Uh, um, yeah. you know, my, my, uh, my socioeconomic status was, uh, was varying. So, uh, it's something that you can do relatively cheap or for free. Um, and, and the same goes with writing. So that was something that what, stuck early on.
0: Yeah. What came first, the love of the military and wanting to go out and serve the country or was it, were,
1: were you a writer? Were you an artist? Was that kind of, no, for sure, for sure came, uh, from the artist side, um, when I was really young, I had like a fascination with like, you know, the Lur dudes and, um and, you know, scout Sniper. Like I, I read like all, every all the Vietnam. Right. Yeah. Read all right. the, v- well, I don't know about all the kids. Cause I was in like third and fourth grade reading like some mm-hmm. grimy shit. Um, but, uh and I, I mean, I had access, my mom was in school, so I had access to all her like textbooks and she had classics on the, the shelf. And like, I remember I read all quiet on the Western front when I was like really young, like so young that I didn't actually understand that it was written from the perspective of, of the other side. Um, yeah, I was
0: going to say that seems like you'd miss a lot of the impact of that. reading young,
1: sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm sure I got a lot too, but, right. um, but it definitely like, it definitely hit different when I read it later. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, definitely the artist community. Uh, I, I, was a recruiter's worst nightmare uh, in high school, and I actually went to a, such a liberal high school that they didn't allow recruiters uh, on school property. Like if if a kid was working well, on a contract or something, they sure. would have to wait for them at the front office and pick them up. Um, and Where was this? Where off. were you? Uh, I was in Durham, New Hampshire. Um, so, jeez, all right, yeah. So uh, uh, who, supposed- who knew?
0: Who knew there was a? I didn't know there's such a liberal outpost up in New Hampshire. That's not something you hear of much these days.
1: Well, I think because a lot of people are like, oh, shit, y'all's laws are great. Like, what what have we been doing anywhere else in the country? Right, right. Um, but I mean, New Hampshire has been relatively liberal for like for quite a while, that area in particular. Mm. Um, and it's that weird, that weird liberalism where it's like a lot of a lot of upper class, um, but they like to tell other people uh, how they should be feeling and doing things um it's a college town too so i grew up with like a lot of yeah a lot lot of stuff uh, but that was probably
0: good for for your literary development because you were around people that were reading and encouraged kind of like a bit of a more book fetish right it was more of an acceptable path probably than if you'd been elsewhere right
1: it was a really interesting um school environment it was a really interesting place to grow up as like a uh poor kid among not poor kids. Um, and definitely like, a, a tricky place to navigate as far as, as that. Um, because it, it was like, there were, there were a lot of really good, you know, uh, English teachers, a lot of really good art teachers, uh, that I had that, that had a positive influence on me. Um, but yeah, I think so. Um, a lot of, a lot of different, different experiences at that school. I mean, there were, you're also talking about a school where they like lined up kids who were getting in like trouble and stuff and basically told them that they would be better off dropping out. Like when I told my stepmom this, she was like, Oh no, they can't do that. I was like, but they did like, you know, this is like, so it's, it is a, it is very much a school. Cause it, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different stuff that goes into that, but, um, and this was a private a, school. It sounds like, no, this is a public school, dude. Really? Yeah, this was a this is a public school in a university town. It's always a very interesting thing. You'll hear you'll hear wow. similar narratives from other people when when that's the case, you know. Um Looking back now, would you have changed it? Do you think it, um, it gave you the tools to succeed? I I wouldn't so much? change anything. That's a you know, that that's a no-brainer. Um when, you know, when people ask those kinds of questions no matter like, you know, would you change this? Like, yeah, if I had known than what i know now i probably would do it different but i mean if i could if i could go back now i wouldn't change anything because it's led me right up to where right. i am you right. know every even even just the slightest bump in the road could have could have changed some circumstance that you know would have would have knocked me off course when did you start writing uh i i say i have written since i could hold a pen and like you know formulate sentences and and i believe that to be true um i remember like even drawing like comic strip stuff in uh in in like spiral notebooks so um even before i could form sentences i was i was telling some sort of story um was that what was
0: influencing you was like comic books was that where you're like oh yeah that's cool i want to mimic that a little bit
1: see i don't like i'm not real big into comic books now um and I am not a grown-up that's going to pretend that I uh, have always been into comic books like others um, just because movies are coming out. But, like, I mean, it was definitely – it played a role. But, um, but no, I don't remember being, like, fanatical about any one. You know, my dad had his favorites, like, from when he was a kid that, like – but it wasn't like comic books were a staple in the house. Um, Definitely made up, like, made up my own characters and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, had really early influences like from hip hop and stuff, um, that probably sparked some, some of the poetry stuff. Um, so you were writing poetry early on. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that I was writing poetry, but wasn't sure what I was doing. Did you think oh, it was I lyrics? Was, was it like, oh, 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 yeah. be a, okay. Jam in 94, five. Boston, Got you. Got you. Did
0: you ever actually try to follow through on it? Were you like, this is the start of something. If I could just get a dj or if i could just get you know a couple guys and we could start a group and do that did it ever oh, escalate yeah. to that
1: yeah no um uh, music music was a staple uh throughout i mean um the uh like like i said the you know the community that i had um at the school that i went to uh for sure fostered you know a, a love for hip-hop and stuff so um, that was a thing growing up. And then eventually I found like hardcore punk rock and that was that was another a whole other thing. Um and you find the two kind of mesh uh culturally. Um but uh but yeah, I mean as far as like creating music and stuff, it was definitely more more hip hop. Did you start a band? Did you start a group? No, I actually for a while I toured with a band. Um I just tour managed a buddy's band. I, I had nothing going on. I had just gotten out of the breakup. I was like 19. Um, and they needed a merch dude for a tour. And I was like, yeah, like, let's go. So I had a little bit of money saved up and then, um, and then we just scraped by however we could other ways. Um, but, uh, but I did that for like a full us tour and I came home and I did like another, another two or three, uh, after that. So I, I traveled, you know, Jeez. saw the whole, yeah, saw the whole country in like a really short amount of time. Um, and then when I got back, I, um, like after the last one, I was like, I am pretty tired of putting my life back together every time I come home. Um, so got a, got a job, got an apartment. Um, I was staying with my buddy, uh, who I ended up enlisting with and he came home, uh, one day from work or I came home one day from work and one of us was home. I can never quite remember which. And one of us said to the other, like, Oh, I've been thinking about enlisting like been thinking about joining joining the military and we we were both on the same page so we started kind of the process together um and marine corps wouldn't take us because we already had too many tattoos they'd already changed policies uh this was like this was like 2007 2008 okay um and then uh and then so we just walked down the hall to the army and that was that and then so after all that time of going, yeah, I've been on the
0: road too much. Tired of reconfiguring my life every time I get back. You said, let me definitely do the military then.
1: Yeah, I think I was also yeah. like, I mean, I was twenty one, and I had no concept of anything. I didn't, I didn't know um, that you only came home like you know once or twice a year. Didn't know um, that your job was probably going to suck no matter what. Uh, didn't like, just didn't, didn't, I, I thought I was so much smarter because I was a little bit older than the average enlistee, and, and it was not that way. Um, yeah what, did you sure, think, like,
0: yeah. what did you think you were getting into? What did you think that your, your pattern of life was going to look like? I tried? think
1: I was so, um, I think I was generally like so unhappy with just the, like the, the regular. Way life was going that I was like, ah, it doesn't really matter. I I didn't really look into it that much. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely tired of like doing the road stuff, but I think I was also just tired of like, you know, making ends meet and like working a lot and not toward anything. Um, that was, that was the greater, you know, the greater, uh, void I was trying to fill was, um, I had, you know, I had met, uh, a couple friends I had reconnected with a couple friends from high school who had like just gotten back from, from different deployments, um, you know, recovering from different injuries. And I was like, man, like I'm working a lot and I'm not working toward anything. I'm not contributing to anything. Um, and that was, that was kind of rubbing me the wrong way. So. So you felt uh, purposeless. You felt like the military yeah, gave you a purpose. Yeah. I mean, and like I was working at, so at the time before I enlisted, I was working um, as a one-on-one for a a child who was in the early stages of being placed on the spectrum. Um, And then at night I was working at a bar um, at UNH, like the college town where I drew up um, uh, bouncing. And uh, so definitely total opposite sides of, of, uh, of that. But, um, but it was, uh, I would, so I was working like 60, 70 hours a week and I still like was not, you know didn't feel like i was working toward anything didn't feel like i was like part of anything contributing to anything and i think that's pretty common um when you talk to guys who who enlist like later in life
0: yeah i i guess i mean it sounds though i mean look your day job was not a common day job i mean you weren't you know working for a moving company i mean it, if you're helping out like that it seems like you were always drawn to social work and helping others you for didn't sure. feel any sense of of uh, like abiding purpose with that or anything like
1: Hey, this is building towards something like you're treading water. Still, I didn't, um, I didn't feel like I wanted at the time, I didn't feel like I wanted to pursue that path. Um, and, and as far as like my work with that particular child, that was a really special case. And once he was like diagnosed, um, he would, he would have ended up going to, uh, a different center. Um, and he was, you know, so he's, I mean, he's thriving now, uh, because of like early intervention and stuff, but, um, but I mean, that was, it was a short-term gig, you know, I was already working there, um, like in the, in the toddler room when they first kind of detected and they, and they put me on that. So, um, but I mean, either way, I was just like, ah, this, this isn't doing it, you know? Had you been um,
0: taking college classes? I mean, that's not something a high school grad just walks into,
1: right? No. So I did. Um, I actually had the opportunity to do uh, vocational. I really skated through high school. I didn't. I didn't try to uh, do anything more than I had to. But the one thing that I did that was a little bit extra was I did uh, vocational courses for early childhood. Um, huh. Yeah. So and and it was because like at the time I I, I was like ah maybe I want to do like you know uh, like work with like at-risk youth and stuff like that. So I figured that was like maybe a good way to do it. Um, But I mean, really the bottom line was like, I didn't have anybody um, the way that my parents were set up. I didn't have anybody um, pushing me to go into school. Uh, Mm -hmm. Didn't have anybody really talking to me about career moves. Um, You know, what was happening after high school. Like I had like a big, oh shit moment when I had like, uh, I didn't hang out with a lot of kids that I went to school with. I was pretty much gone. At shows like every weekend um and would just go to school and go home um but I had an oh shit moment when like people I knew like for, like for even from the hardcore scene that were the same age as I was and then others were like oh like I got accepted here or oh I'm doing this and I'm like <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing next week like <laughs> so um yeah, it was, uh, that was uh, definitely like a, oh, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so, it, and I, I just ended up moving to Boston. I didn't, I didn't do anything. Um, you know, I just but worked odd jobs.
0: When you went in the military, I mean, oh, seven, <coughs> I mean, the wars are going on. You were, you got to be aware of kind of what you're walking into. You've had these friends come back from deployments. I mean, you know, you're going to war,
1: right? For sure. And I, I think I just assumed that everybody had the same role. That's what it seemed like to me. Um, it didn't. Yeah, you know, the recruiters will tell you like what your job is, but like really you don't know what your actual job is gonna be until you get to your, you know, finish finish your training, get to your unit till your unit comes down on orders. You know, you may like I, I went to uh basic and AIT with some guys who um literally like got to their unit and then and then shipped out because they were they were late. Um you know they went they went as replacements and stuff um and then i know some that went to like totally non deployable units so it's it really is like a numbers game um and i don't think i understood that completely but um and you went in as an mp right yeah and what what terrible. was
0: that yeah what was that like what what was oh. that conversation like did you yeah were you excited um, about it when they first offered it were you,
1: I think you- like my buddy and i both uh my buddy ended up going to to ranger regiment but he initially enlisted as a like comsec repair and he got like a $40,000 bonus and I got like a 20 and, and, and I got like convinced that the, um, the job would give me like transferable, you know, civilian job skills oh. and which I don't really under, understand how I thought that was a good thing. Cause I didn't want to be a cop anyway. And then, um, and that, like, he was like, eh, you'll see, like, both sides of it. You'll have, like, a cool garrison job and you'll you'll have, like, cool combat duties. And I was like, sure, whatever. And then Ryan's just like, yeah, like, I'm a machinist. And the guy's like, oh, ComSec repair will be perfect for you. Like, what? Um, so he, because uh, he was he was working in a machine shop uh, in Portsmouth at the time. So he was like, oh, yeah, this is super applicable. We were just stupid. Um, Although he got I mean, 40 grand out of it. which He got 40 suck. grand out yeah. of it. No, not at all. Um, and then, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really enjoy it. I I definitely enjoyed the part that I consistently enjoyed about any kind of work like that, where, you know, it's the human interaction and you get to see people on like really terrible days of their lives. And if you're better equipped to deal with that, then you're better equipped to deal with that.
0: Yeah. Talk about that evolution then, as you went through your military career, what did it do to your mindset? How did it, what what facets of your life from before you joined got elevated and what facets kind of receded what immaturities dropped off what perspective changed while you were in
1: um i mean uh, living out of, of out of a duffel bag in a van definitely helped me be uh, nomadic as like a you know service member um that was never really an issue um so i think some other people struggled with that um but uh but as far as you know like the job the job scope, I think I was in like I put myself in a lot of like dangerous situations when I was younger. Um so I wasn't quite as affected uh later on, or at least like I didn't I didn't think that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got in yeah, <clears throat> in, in, in the coursework that I've been doing, I carried into like probably like two semesters deep. Uh, this like mindset that like, if you are pre-exposed to trauma that like, when you hit the bigger stuff, you're already better prepared for it. And I had a professor like, correct me, like no dummy, it's actually the opposite way. It's, it's that you're preconditioned to it. So you don't realize how fucked up you're getting. Mm. So like there's, and, and I think that's a pretty common thought process is that like, if you, you know, um, there was some crazy st- statistic that I wrote, uh, read about, uh SF candidates and they had like several traits in common and it was like a nine and a half boot size, like, like between like five, eight and six, one. And they all came from broken homes. It was, I can't remember the exact numbers on the the boot size and the height, but broken homes was definitely uh, a stat. Um, And it was a really high percentage. And so I had this conversation with this, this professor and she's like, no, it's not that you are um, you are, like better prepared to deal with it. It's that you have a higher tolerance, kind of like a dry drunk, you know. Um, so if you are if you're better prepared to deal with that, like you think you are, so you you take in more, you know, you put yourself in more dangerous situations sometimes um, and things like that. But really, it's just going to come out a lot harder in the end. Does that makes sense. It's
0: interesting. That does make sense. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. So your social work does it center a lot on military issues then, especially since you're working with 107 and all that? Um,
1: I and anybody who has been to school in the post 9-11, you know, uh, GI Bill can probably relate. You you are uh, either by your own, um, you know, your own devices or by your teacher's direction. Uh, you're always a subject matter expert on all things, veterans affairs and uh, foreign policy. Um, but so for better uh, or for worse. Yeah, right. In my master's program, like in my undergrad, I had a lot of experiences like that where like, you know, some current event would be going and a professor would be like, what do you think about this? I'm like, what the fuck does it matter? Like um, in, my, in my MSW, uh, I've had a lot of positive experiences where they will uh, task me with very specific things, um, regarding the veteran experience. Um, and you know, when I have, when I have an opinion to offer or an experience to offer, it's valued. Um, you know, working with Hunter 7 and being able to share that also with like my field placement, like seminar course, uh, was really cool because a lot of the people, I mean, that's really new shit. You know, it's, they, they call it, they, they call toxic exposure, like the agent orange of our generation. Um, but they don't, <clears throat> it's it is new you know the research is new the the, the correlations yeah. that are being you know the lines that are being drawn those are new um so a lot of people are like oh i didn't know anything about any of this so sure
0: um, but because it's a master's don't you get to determine your lane a little bit don't you get a little bit of latitude to go hey i want to dive into veterans issues or not is yeah the I mean,
1: there are some programs that are uh that do have like an emphasis on veterans affairs my school doesn't Um, there are a couple different certificates that you can do, uh, you know, that, that will for sure guide you to that path, like trauma informed therapy and stuff. Um, I'm, I'm looking at doing more of the macro side of things. So program Mm -hmm. development, um, and, and I've done a lot of like the policy, uh, and legislation type stuff with Hunter seven. Um, and I, I for sure enjoy that. The other thing with like, with counseling is that. Um while there's a need, it's it is so different, um, like state to state and, and all that. So it's a little bit trickier. Um, but we'll see. I'm not uh, not trying to close any doors.
0: How do you see that dovetailing with DRC or do you? Is it a totally separate line of effort for you?
1: Um so one of the ways that, that I've kind of uh tried to pull them together is with the program development side of things. Um, we've started organizing some workshops, uh, and some, uh, some different courses and stuff. Um, so doing a lot of that, uh, which is really cool. Um, and and that really falls in line with like the program development side of social work. Um, you know, some of it is, is actual education development. Um, the, you know, also differentiating like that a workshop is not therapy. You know, there's, there's a pretty common misconception among people who, just getting into writing that, that a workshop group is, is a therapeutic effort. And it's not, um, so kind of redefining that is really cool as well. Um, but that also gives us the opportunity to, to create those therapeutic endeavors, um, you know, for people that need them.
0: Yeah. Talk a little bit about that process with you guys and how, you know, in the years that you've been around, how much have you had to educate the veteran population about the the difference or the evolution from maybe moving your writing from therapeutic writing, that's personally gratifying into something that an audience would want to read. Has that been an education process to kind of work with the veteran? community?
1: Yeah. yeah, And I think it's just, sometimes it's just a different perspective uh, that you can offer. Um, But I think, you know, one of the big ones is we we've talked a lot about journaling. We've talked a lot about writing prompts. And then we've also said that like, you know, yeah, you might run with this writing prompt and turn it into a bigger project, but, like, you also have to understand that, like, not everybody wants to fucking read that. (laughs) Um, Like, you know, nobody, uh, I mean, maybe somebody does, but, like, they're weird. Uh, Nobody wants to read, like, all my journals um, or, like, everything that I've ever written because it's trash. Like, so revision and and editing and, um, you know, how to effectively... Uh, utilize rejection and stuff like that. Those are all like crucial parts of being a writer. Um, Not every piece you ever submit is going to be accepted or loved. Um, And that's a good thing. Like you're, you are doing something wrong. You are submitting to the wrong places. If every single thing gets accepted. Um, And so, but I mean, with the, like with the uh, therapy groups and stuff, um, you know, workshops uh i think that that side of it we can educate a little bit um you know and and show people what the purpose of things like that are and then and then there's also like writing as therapy you know there there are there are ways you can do that but um but a workshop isn't necessarily one of them so um yeah we've got got a couple things coming up um in that realm uh we just finished our our first season of uh developmental courses so like just one day courses on Uh we did um journaling and uh intro to memoir and um just finished up with uh writing recovery course. Um so like recovery from addiction and stuff like that. Taught by uh all those were taught by Jessica Danger. Um and then um Michael Plunkett uh from the PB Abate camp uh jumped in on that writing recovery one and they just ended it really well. Um, but we have another one coming up too with uh, Arms to Artisans. Which is, Tori from uh, from Backward Flag Brewing um, does that. So she asked if we would be interested in uh, in collaborating and getting some support from her. She's got that really cool um, cool project going. So uh, we're going to work with her on something like that. That's awesome. So I mean, it, it seems like,
0: and I'm 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 going <clears> to <throat> play amateur psychiatrist here, but it seems like you like building infrastructure, you like yeah. building institutions, and you like building the framework for something to last.
1: I think I like putting people in a room. Um, you know, I think, I think I like, um, I like the, the idea that, uh, you, we, we're constantly, um, barking about surrounding yourself with creative people. And so I think I like that idea that I think I like, um, especially when you're dealing with a bunch of people who are probably introverts, if, if they're not Um, they're not going to the people that they do surround themselves with aren't going to necessarily foster that. Um, you know, we even we get a lot of people who are like, oh, I showed this to a couple buddies and they said it was good. I'm like, like that's great, but like that's not good feedback. Right. Um, you know, and, and it may be good. That it's not to say that it's not good, but like if you just showed it to your aunt and your, you know, your brother and like your buddy from basic. Like, and they just said, they all said they liked it. Like that doesn't actually help you. Um, When I, when I send my writing to people for feedback, I expect it to get torn up and it does, um, you know, hurt, hurt my feelings. Like that's, that's how we get better.
0: Where do you place your writing amidst? So, I mean, obviously if you're busy with kind of the administrative and the, the visionary parts of DRC, you have your social work. What is the writing for you right now? Is it, Obviously, you, you know you just published uh, *Karmic Purgatory*. Mm-hmm. You know you're trying to put your stuff out there. Is it a? Do you see it as a career? Do you see it as I've got some stuff to unburden myself with? Do you see it as a crucial, necessary, central part of you at this point? What, or is it just a, 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 a sideline? Is it like yeah, this is something I do when I have time and and I have the bandwidth
1: to be able to wrap my head around some of these ideas? Uh, that's a really hard question. I think um, it is, you know, I, I wonder what like what the common uh, response for like football players who have, you know, been holding a football in their hands since they were like yay high, like what they would say if it's their career or if it's like just what they do and what they love to do, mm. um, you know, because it's for sure. Like it's I mean, it's not what feeds me. Um but it's uh but it's definitely like i mean there's something to be said for that there's something like when you when it's not something that necessarily like constantly provides for you but like it's still something that you are always doing or that you can even put up you know put down and and pick back up again right um because there's for sure been like dry spells like that i just always end up coming back to it um
0: do you have projects you're working on long term
1: now uh yeah, I do. Um, and I try to try to keep them varied a little bit. I've, I've been messing with some essay stuff um, and, and some short stories, but, um, but it's really hard for me to stay super engaged with those. Uh, I think that's why I've always, you know, kind of like I was talking about reading poetry. I think that's always why I've liked writing poetry too. Um, you know, one of the ones that I just finished, uh, I started on a cross country drive um, and finished on the other side of the country. So uh, just using like, you know, talk to text, um, and then, and then oh, yeah. it together like that. So um, it didn't end up in chronological order, but it, uh, <clears throat> it came out um, pretty close. Um, so it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm actually going to give a talk to it, uh, kind of the anatomy of that poem um, for the P.B. Abate uh, book club on February, I think, February 28th. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Is We're that is
0: that then. through P.B. Abate or is that like an Instagram live that anybody can jump on? No,
1: so you gotta be signed up for the book club. Um well and... send me send me
0: those links so I make sure we put that in the show notes. Yeah, I we'll, we'll that. Notes. Yeah. Um, what is what is that like to actually dictate a book? Is that easy for you? Is that a pain in the ass? I could never I wanted to do that, and I was like, it just Ended up being really sloppy writing when I tried to dictate something.
1: Oh yeah, it's terrible. Because uh, if you're, I mean, if you're just using like Apple Talks to text, you're going to have right. a lot of like miscommunications with your device. I also you're just probably- can't think.
0: I can't. I can't. Like I have to think on the page. Like for some reason when I talk it, I'm like I, I'm I'm trying to talk to a person, and that's different than how I would write it. You know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's just me, but what's that like for you? Do you find it's yeah. like same, same, like you can alternate between the two?
1: I'll usually just go for notes. Um, but, but I mean, even, even with that, if it's just like a, a note, um, you might fuck that note up. Like I had a, a whole bunch of them. I was like, this might've been a great line. And like, what is here on the page is not what I spoke. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's frustrating for sure. Um, I think nothing, you know, a lot of people ask like, oh, like, you know, typing, handwriting. Like, I don't think anything really beats um, the act of like handwriting and putting pen to paper. Um, there's, I mean, there's studies that show like the, uh, you know, the, the neurological aspects of it um, being really positive. So it's, it is important to actually handwrite things
0: was that well what's the what's the what did they say the the pod the benefits are
1: um I think just the connection like i mean the hand, you know the enhanced coordination and stuff like that um but also just like committing it um there there's a whole bunch of different things I'll, there there's actually a couple of studies that we uh, we cited when we did like the handwritten challenge and stuff that are pretty cool. I'll send them to you that's really
0: cool, yeah, no idea. I know I see that movement, I see the pictures of people doing handwritten stuff, <clears throat> and I'm like, I don't know, man, my hand gets tired. <laughs> Yep. I don't know. For, I don't for know. Sure. I'm like, I'm like, and, and when it gets tired, then I get lazy with my writing, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe yeah. I'm too set in my ways. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm with you. I want to, I want to double back to your military career. Cause obviously that's kind of the Genesis of, you know, the movement that you're, if not pioneering, certainly at the, at the cutting edge of um, what was when you got out, what was your takeaway? From your time in the military, if you had to boil it down, was it a positive experience? Was it a negative experience? What was, how did it strike you? And what was, you, what was it? What did it fuel you with? Were you filled with anger, resentment, fatigue? Were um, you
1: I think when I first got out, I was really indifferent. Um, I, for sure, very much like I think most people you are drinking from a fire hose um, no matter what you're doing. And I was not prepared to process a lot of it um immediately. So uh, I've, I've definitely like come to terms with that. Um And I don't think, you know, I don't think I'm fully done processing it. I mean, I saw like, saw a lot of the awful thing. I saw the, the worst, the worst sides of humanity. And I saw like really cool things too. And I saw like beautiful places and I, um, and all that, but it's you know it is a lot, um, and I think at the time I didn't have a strong desire to unpack any of it, um, so I'm kind of working on that now. Talk. I, I really did this
0: all out of order because I just get bored when I do things in chronological order. But talk about the genesis of DRC. Then how did that come about?
1: Um, so Tyler, uh, I, I I initially wanted to start a blog. Uh, I didn't know what we would necessarily write on. Um, and then as we started kind of brainstorming, I was like, you know, I think sharing positive stories instead of like all the shitty stuff or all the controversial stuff, like, you know, uh, just dudes doing well. Um, and so we started with like a little entrepreneurial stories, but actually the first story was Tyler's, um, cause he and I had met very briefly in Italy And he, um, he reached out to me and he had this, uh, this piece that he had written about, you know, getting hurt and taken off the battlefield prematurely. Um, and, uh, and I loved it. And so I edited it for him and I was like, I think this is, you know, the first one that will run. It was really well received. Um, like, especially among, um, dudes from his unit, uh, dudes that had been in his unit. Um, and then from there, he and I just started working on stuff together uh, and he, he wanted to have more of a role in it. And that's really like kind of how it came together. Um, we were working with a couple other friends at the time. Um, some are still involved, some are not. And they, uh, but really then it ended up just being me and him, uh, at a certain point because we just had other ideas. Um, and we really saw a gap, um, you know, avoid, in the publishing realm like for for veterans um that like publishers really only wanted one thing from veterans um you know so uh that was where we really took it um what did you see like it was the no
0: shit there i was stories they needed that and they couldn't really <coughs> much else
1: yeah and i mean eventually we'll have like one or two of those but it's not the main push um and, and we don't need people to specifically only comment on their military experience, you know, like write poetry, right. You know, explore, explore that experience in different forms. Um, it doesn't, it just have to be like a nonfiction account. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, we have other people who are submitting, you know, novellas. We have, uh, we have all kinds of stuff. We have, we have a couple of coffee table books in the work, um, children's books, stuff like that. So, Uh, we want to see like a wide variety of stuff but i mean one of the big things that we saw too is that uh we had veteran writer friends who had submitted stuff and because of their experience they they were kind of turned away um sometimes it's that like a publisher isn't willing to work with you as much as you need to you Mm. know we have we have some people who have different like educational levels and stuff like that so um, you know, if a project speaks to us, we're going to take it, not necessarily like if it's just going to be advantageous for us. When
0: did you start realizing, and, and, may, and I'm going to kind of put assumptions into this question that you can correct if they're wrong, but when did you start seeing a need to kind of educate the veteran community a little bit about writing and about the end result of writing and writing for an audience and doing your prompts and and just putting it out there for the community so that people could gravitate to it as they wanted, but also start to learn and build up more of a writing community in the veteran, in the veteran community.
1: Um, when people started asking for it, for sure. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, people, people were, I mean, not in, not like, Hey, when are you guys going to have classes? But people, people would say things like, you know, Hey, how do I do this better? Um, so it was subtle in a way. Um, but there were, there were a lot of like requests for, um, you know, the other thing is we get requests all the time for feedback. People will send us poems in our Instagram DMS and we can't, um, it is, it is exhausting. We're at on Instagram, we're at like 26,000 followers or something, which is still baffling to me. Um, and you know, if we reviewed every poem and gave feedback on every, every poem or every, you know snippet of an essay or whatever that that everybody sent us like we would never do anything else. Um and so there was definitely a need for that. So we have like a Facebook group that we kind of use as a writer's group as well. People can post their stuff and get feedback from the the community there. Um that's pretty informal. And then um and then we but we wanted to do these workshop courses. So we did initially we did a <clears throat> um a six week workshop group, um, that had like, there was a submission process. Um, so we had, uh, quite a few more submissions than we actually accepted. Um, you know, we reviewed everything blindly. Uh, cause that's the thing too, is that we, at this point we have, we have friends, uh, you know, relationships that we've made, uh, right. within the community. Uh, so we're really adamant about that. Every time we put out like one of those anthologies, every time, um, that we put out, uh, the word about like one of those courses where, where it's a selection process. We're like really adamant about doing it blindly and, and, you know, with sterilized, like personal identifying information. Um, cause it's not like, I hate, yeah, I just, I really, I'm really not a fan of like the old boys club, you know? Um, and, and it really should be about the writing. Um, so that's been, that's been something we've been uh, pretty serious about. Um, so, um, uh, this is, I'm going to
0: take the scenic route to a point since you're taking <laughs> a drink anyway. Um, so years ago, I, I studied at Henzo Gracie's Academy in New York where, uh, John Danaher became a coach and, um, and a very successful and innovative groundbreaking jujitsu coach.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he had had a leg injury or a knee injury. There was a, Dysfunction, a genetic dysfunction or something, a uh, degenerative condition or something. So he could never compete. So he never didn't have a, yeah. a great uh, track record as a jiu-jitsu player. Um, and when all the initial wave of American trained black belts left, um, they asked him to become a coach. And he, I think, was a purple belt <laughs> or something. And he took it. But he was like, "I, I suddenly have this obligation to know everything there is to know about grappling because. This is what's being asked of me. And people are going to come here and expect that level of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Did you find something similar to that with you guys where suddenly you're the dog that caught the bus and you're like, son of a bitch, I, I, people are coming to me for feedback. I got to get smarter on the editing. I got to get smarter on my knowledge base to be able to give good feedback to people. Or has it always been second nature or a gut feeling and just kind of friends helping friends kind of thing where, hey, I... I I know where you're coming from, so I think I can help you around this and troubleshoot this a little bit for you. But it's more of a gut feeling.
1: Uh, I mean, I think we're we're always very quick to share our own perspective, um, you know, and what we believe uh, to be important. Um, but we also are really we've gotten really good at finding the people who are uh, also, you know, skilled in in those realms and and maybe have a different perspective. Um, you know the other side of the education is that like not everyone is going to go for an MFA not everyone sure. is going to go uh do their undergrad in creative writing like it's just not a priority for some people but wanting to write better is is a thing that a lot of people are going to do whether they want to um publish something or not um and so so this gives you know if we if we host a 3 hour zoom class uh for 50 bucks on a weekend that's something that's a little bit more attainable um, than than committing to an entire degree. hundred percent. Yeah. And also we're not like, you know, we're not an adjunct professor uh, who's underappreciated and underpaid uh, clicking through a PowerPoint. It's, you know, those are like, those are realities. And and, um, so being able to like really provide like solid coursework um, in, in that respect has been really rewarding for all of us. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we really like to find, uh, people that we can collaborate with, uh, to teach those courses. We really like to find, um, you know, people who we can, uh, get to edit work, uh, you know, just, and so that we have like a whole stable of, of creative people, um, that are going to bring different things to the table where we can, you know, we can select different people for different tasks. Um, what's it, what's the end game
0: for you guys? Is it, Uh, Hey, I'm running a very successful publishing house. It's my living. And it also has the not unintended consequence of really helping veterans and finding the next wave of great veteran writers. Is it developing kind of a middle class of veteran writers and building up the veteran writing community? Where where do you see it going? Where do you see what's what's the end game? Do you think?
1: I mean, I think it's uh, realistically like everything you just stated is is what I would Mm. have said. Um, Okay. And where we place priority kind of varies um, based, on, uh, based on the current goal that we're working on. So, um, yeah, it really, it really is all of those things, you know, um, creating like, you know, creating a middle class of writers, like maybe that don't want to be professional writers, but maybe, you know, find that they enjoy writing or that it helps them um, and help them do it a little bit better. And then maybe eventually they, they start submitting things for publication. Um, maybe they submit them to us. Um identifying those people immediately and then encouraging them um it's sure. funny in our in our in my vet reps
0: playwriting competitions that that we're finishing up now that's what i've seen and i i that's why I ask because there were some people that submitted some work that was conceptually awesome like it was super interesting they just mm. don 't know how to write and I'm like oh, okay. Yeah. Nobody, this is not credible dialogue or this is, you know, there's some major gap in skill, but, Dude, but if they took that to another there,
1: venue, they would th- toss it out. They wouldn't fucking work with them. E- you know? Exactly.
0: And, and that's where I, I, I think like um, get, raising the whole education level of the veteran writing community is huge because you're asking people that have maybe not thought of writing as a viable path for anything to start writing. So there's yeah. going to be a lot of rough stuff and the ability to work with people is, I think, I, I think to your point, paramount. That's, that's what it's got to be because people have to develop the skill sets. The stories are there and there's a lot of life there but you got, they need the mechanism and that, sure. that finding a way to bridge that I think is huge. I don't know of anybody else doing that to the extent that you guys are to be fair. Maybe you're tracking somebody differently than I am but Sounds like I don't see anybody else do it. Well, in playwriting, I mean, yeah, you know, which is a niche, you know, I, I don't have yeah. the bandwidth to do it for all kinds of writing, but um and we haven't done it yet. We're still we're still closing the first competition. So <laughs> we haven't we haven't picked our finalists and all that yet. But it's been it's been something that my my managing director and I have talked about a lot about how do you educate and how do you build up that um that middle class and find the ways to workshop people's work when you know it can't it won't be ready yet. But mm-hmm. it's like, but I know, but I gotta prime the pump. We we you know we want you guys to keep writing. We don't want to discourage you. We don't want to give you hard nose when we see something of value. What's been the biggest struggle for you guys? If you had to go back and start it over from scratch, what, what struggle would be like, oh yeah, I, I haven't figured this out yet, or this was really the mountain we had to climb, or I wish I'd done this better early on. What's been the biggest struggle in your guys' journey?
1: Um, I think establishing ourselves as a, as a business and not like a nonprofit you know, charity organization, um, there's been some, I I think the common misconception when someone submits something is that because you are a veteran, it is going to be accepted in whatever condition you submitted in, or that, uh, the feedback is going to be buddy, buddy, or that, you know, um, I don't like using the word entitled because I think it's taken on its own like archetype but like yeah. if <clears throat> there is a certain level of entitlement among among some veterans and some aren't ready um there and and there's ego involved too right and that's not yeah. just veterans that's that's all right. probably all all writers and this is why the workshop uh is crucial to the development of a writer but like um you know with that entitlement there it's it's difficult to navigate um there are <clears throat> there are veterans who feel like once they are done with something, then that is it. Like as far as a piece of writing and that's not the way that it works. Um, So, I mean, I, I try, if you submit something to me, like even just as a friend, I'm not going to send it back to you without pen on it. Like it's not, it's, that's not going to be helpful to you. Me telling you like, yeah, it looks great. Like if I don't see anything on the first run, it means I didn't look at it hard enough. Yeah, It's not that it's not that it's impeccable. Like it's just, yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that's definitely been been probably one of the more difficult parts. Um, And then I think just really like uh, determining how to, how best to like present ourselves as like an education venue as well. Um, but I mean, everyone is just really receptive to like what we're doing almost all of the time. Um, it's, it's really cool. We have this really cool community that we've found ourselves in. Um, and, and it's always like super refreshing when, uh, we come out with something new and everybody's into it. Um, you know, we're, we're just trying to, trying to build that up for other people too.
0: Do you guys ever see yourselves physically being co-located or having any kind of physical footprint?
1: Oh, that would be dope. Uh, It's definitely, definitely the goal. Um, We, you know, with the whole, like surround yourself with creative people, um, a brick and mortar spot is paramount. It's tough Um, to beat. Yeah. And, but it's, I mean, in the age of like the, the zoom, office. Um, it's, you know, there's advantages to being remote as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, a brick and mortar spot is, is in, in the the plans. Um, it's something we aspire for, but how soon it's going to be and what it's going to look like. That's, that's hard to say.
0: Um, I want to dive a little bit into the actual, uh, sausage making of, of, your process what's the most common mistakes that you see in your submissions the submissions that come to you guys
1: um i think people get nervous and i mean speaking from personal experience too um you know you get nervous or you just get the fuckets um when you're when you're reaching the end of a project or when you're um you know when you're preparing something for submission like you just like you're just like ah i just want to get it the fuck away from me, you know? Yeah, yeah, Um, and so that's, that's a big one. Um, just, and just minor errors. Uh, another thing that we're seeing is that like people, uh, you know, in the age of the internet, it's, uh, there are all these editors out there and some of them are really good. And some of them will do a whole, you know, we'll edit a whole manuscript for you. There's different types of editors, you know, there's, there's line editors, there's copy editors, um, you know, for different purposes. And like, there are some editors out there who like, are just like anything else, you know, just like bullshit nutritionists or personal trainers, just like anybody who, you know, put very minimal learn, learn a skill set and put very minimal effort into what they're doing. Um, and and it's for sure not all of them. Like I said, there's a ton of people out there doing a great work, but like you have to be careful and kind of do your homework on who you're like handing your your life's work and a whole shit ton of your money to. Because um, we've had some people submit and say like, oh, this came from a copy editor. Um, and I'll like go through it. And in the first five pages, I'll find like a bunch of errors. So it's, which is so discouraging and like, so hard to tell someone, you know, um, like, Hey, sorry. Like you didn't necessarily get scammed, but you definitely didn't get your money's worth. Um, and then, um, other common mistakes. Uh, I, I mean, maybe the assumption that it has to be a military story. You know, there are some people like the common, the, the way a question is often phrased to us is like, Hey, I don't know if you, if you guys would be interested in a children's book. Like we're interested in all, all formats, all forms, all genres. Um, you know, the only criteria really that you have to. And I mean, the worst thing that that anybody can say is no, but the, the only criteria that we have is that you are a military veteran. Um, from what generation, it doesn't matter from how many, you know, whatever time in service doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter what you did uh, very much like the PB of Ate, uh right. You know, mission, we, it, it doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter um, you know, how long you served or, or where you went or whatever um, it's, it only matters that you served, and that immediately qualifies you to submit something. And then from there, then we'll take it.
0: What's the decision making process like? Does everybody have to sign off and go, yeah, this really moved me? Or is it one person's one decision maker, uh, one person's gut feeling?
1: What's no, the- so, um, so like I'm actively like looking for things, but also reviewing like what gets submitted to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there are some things that I, I for sure like reach out and I'm like, hey, I think you should write about this. And when you finish it, send it to us. Um, there, there's some of that, uh, then there's also like, or if I know someone's working on a project, I'll make sure that they know it's something that we would be interested in. Um, but I mean, as far as the, I mean, we can't pull the curtain back too, too much. Um, sure. But like, we try to make it really clear in the submission requirements on the website, uh, like w- what we're looking for and how you need to present it. Um, and I mean, those are, <clears throat> those are basic skills that's the kind of shit that like determines whether or not an employer even looks at your resume is, you know, being able to put things in a certain font and all that. And like, and that's the thing. So like, we'll, we'll give feedback even on that stuff. Like, Hey, we didn't, we stopped looking at it because it lacked this, this, and this, or if it's really good, we'll say, fuck it. And throw that shit out the window, you know? Yeah. Yeah. um And just assume that, that it was a, you know, a simple clerical error, but Um, but generally like we try to look at those things, we try to be, uh, be critical of those things because it it tells me like, you know, what, what it is about the manuscript. I'm going to ask
0: you a question that if it was asked to me, I would defer or find some way around it, but I'll throw it out there to you and see, see what you think. Have you, has anything ever crossed your plate? Have you ever accepted a manuscript? Not necessarily because it personally moved you or, or you were blown away by it, but because you were like, you know, it's the right thing to do in this case because either the subject matter is something that should be covered or <laughs> the writer is somebody that there's reasons that, yeah, that that story should be told or whatever they have to say should be given a voice that was done for reasons besides actual aesthetic, like uh, uh, enamorment, that you were just like, yeah, there's, there's other considerations here um, besides just what was on the page.
1: Um, I mean, I guess the poetry anthology, not, not every single poem is going to move us. And like, that's, that's more the way the selection process works for that is a, is more of like a committee. Um, Leo Jenkins came up with that project and he, you know, handed it to us. Um, and so we, we really do, you know, run it more like a committee, uh, where the, you know, in the second volume and this is what will happen in the third is that all of the submissions get compiled into a document and they all get sterilized of the personal information and they get numbered. Um, so we'll, we'll all do picks. Um, not everyone is going to pick the same poems and not every, like not everyone is going to love the poems that are picked. Um, but there's a reason that they should be in there and it's the common sure. themes and it's, you know, varying styles and stuff like that to make it a diverse collection. Um So, I mean, I guess that would be the one, but I'm definitely not going to, uh, Tyler and I have, have looked at some things like, and like, yeah, like this would be a like viable business opportunity, you know, and, but it's not, I don't, that, that, that's not going to be the only driving factor. Um, you know, if the other stuff isn't there, then, then that's not enough for us.
0: Do you and Tyler, uh, have you looked at other publishing companies to see like TTPs and SOPs and like, Hey, this is something we can mirror. Or are you like, no, we're kind of a bit of a different animal. We're just going to follow. We're going to take this one step at a time and, and, and see how this evolves for us. Cause you kind of have a different model in some respects.
1: Um, a bit of both, I think.
0: Okay. Yeah. Do you think that's been helpful to do it like that? Has that worked out well in, in your estimation? Or are you like, yeah, we probably hit some landmines. We stepped on some landmines we didn't need to step on.
1: I, um, I mean, you're always going to go through growing pains, but I think we uh, we still enjoy what we're doing. So that's probably more than a lot of people can say.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's a pretty good criteria in general to know if yeah. you're doing things right. Yeah, yeah. Um, at this point, um, what gets you excited? You know, now you guys are really in the rhythm, and your and your you know the classes are starting to come out and all that. What are, are you just on a kind of a buzz? Anytime something with DRC comes across your desktop, you're like, oh hell yeah, you know we're right in the flow right now. Or uh, is, it, uh, <clears throat> is it a certain project that comes out and you're like, man, I can't wait till this thing hits? Uh, what what is it that gets you turned on?
1: I think when when we get that like triangulate, like especially when Tyler and I get that like triangulation of like energy from us and the writer um, where, you know, they're like, I have this idea and I'm like, oh yeah, shit. Like that would actually work really well with this. And then Tyler was like, oh yeah. Yeah. And what if we did this too? And then like it, it, like I said, like triangulates, um, and creates that kind of circuit, uh, that, that for sure gets me excited. Um, we're working on, uh, Mason Rodriguez, uh, the dead gunner poetry book. Um, and he's got nothing to say. I don't know. I don't know where you'll get any material. It's like- it not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> don't, don't, don't read it to your, don't read it to your mom. Um, it's uh, and I mean, that's been the experience with that is like, we're just, we're pumped on that project. He's pumped on that project. He's super passionate about it. Yeah. You know, um, luckily like we have not. Uh, and I think also, cause we're working in such close proximity with the writers too. Um, that's what we really enjoy is, is the collaborative process and being able to like collaborate with them on everything from, from art to marketing and stuff like that, um, is, is really cool. Um, Mason in particular, I've been like, I edited that one. Uh, and so he and I have been going back and forth and like being able to watch him, you know, you can tell like through, he wrote that manuscript over the last like three years and you can tell what the more recent poems are and how he's developed as a writer. And then, you know, helping him to kind of navigate like different forms and um, and devices and stuff like that to, to perfect his, his craft has been super cool to see. Um, he's just a super sharp kid, but it's honestly, that book is <clears throat> probably the one that I've been most excited for uh, in a little bit, just because of how vulnerable it is. Um, and like the humility that dude has and the amount that he is sharing with, as far as he and us are concerned, the entire world, like that's something to be clapped at, you know, to be stood up and recognized that it's a really, really cool thing. Um, so that one, that one we're really excited about. And it's been the same way, like um, you know, the triangulation of of energy has been apparent the whole time. Um, but I mean, I, I get excited for all of them when we like and, and realistically, like I wish we could, um, a lot of it is like is, you know, not biting off more than we can chew. Uh mm, we want to be yeah. able to uh dedicate the the proper time and stuff. Um, and as we grow, that won't be as much of an issue. Um you know, making some moves in the future to, uh, to make that not an issue at all. Um, And the process, the selection process will still be there, but not necessarily um, just a time commitment.
0: How much has COVID messed up things for you with the supply chain and getting hard copies of the books out and all that? Has that Uh, been an issue or not so much?
1: Yeah, there's been hiccups. I don't think anybody has been unaffected by the logistics stuff sure uh surrounding covid um no matter what industry you're in i think um you've either thrived or or plummeted uh based on it um so everybody's taking a bit of a hit um one way or another but they um yeah i mean it's it's made some things difficult um you know we always like to get uh get proofs in our hands and in in our author's hands Like we're working with Neville Johnson too. And um man, that dude's got a whole box of shit that we've been trying to ship him uh sitting at our HQ because New Zealand stopped letting packages in. So, you know. Oh shit. Um, and so he's like he's he ordered one of the signed copies of PV Bate, uh or uh, of uh Wars a Racket that that Tom Did for you know that we're donating all the proceeds to PB Abate and he can't even get it. I was just like, if you just order it, then we'll just put it in the box. And then whenever we can ship it, we'll ship it. Um, so things like that have been really difficult. Um, and and I think just, I mean, like the debauchery in the mail in general, um, you know, the holidays were brutal. We had like a couple packages sliced open, uh, and delivered empty, like just really, yeah, just Jesus Christ. Um, so it's, uh, for sure a sign of the times, but like I said, I don't think anybody's gone like unaffected. Um, we also, you know, dealing with like the in-person events that's been, because it's not like our main, uh, our main gig, that's not as much of an issue, but it still hits, you know, what would you be doing
0: otherwise? Would you be like going around the country to different like locations and trying to put on events if you could?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, Mason and Buck want to jump in the van and do a tour uh, for Mason's book and uh, which is a whole other like I'm going to probably have them do like the whole same like government travel uh, process uh, for me. They will have to do like AT level one um, and uh, give MapQuest directions uh, to and from their locations and um, do all kinds of risk assessment assessments. We'll probably I'll probably have them do like uh, some kind of like virtual like video game training. <clears throat> you know uh, similar to at level one but about like uh not drinking driving and, and doing all kinds of other things um to just just to cover all the bases yeah 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 uh, keep your
0: writers alive. that's the first job of any publishing house I think yeah yeah you know,
1: I mean I think if they've been alive this long uh, Mason and Buck will be fine um but they uh you know they, they want to do something like that that's an example um and that comes with all kinds of hiccups because it's state to state, you know, I just drove through like half the country and like, it is different different. everywhere you go. Um, You know, it's different from County to County. It's different from state to state, different from coast to coast. So if you look at all these musicians starting to book tours, nobody's booking West coast tours. Um, So that there's, there's something to be said about, you know, what's still waiting to open up. Um, So we'll see, but Um, but yeah, I mean that those are those are the main ways I think it's it's hit.
0: Um, you know I feel like, and this happens to me a lot, but I feel like a negligent podcast host where I don't set the table enough for everybody to fully appreciate the impact of everything we're talking about. But I want so I want to make sure I just um cover it because I was like I don't think I really did. Um, when you got out, and you started this blog. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams you would actually get to this point that you would actually end up with a publishing company, or is it like, no, oh, yeah, that was kind of probably in the back of my mind. Like there was always some part of me that would have wanted to do this and wanted to be engineering this.
1: Um, no, I, I don't. I don't think it was for sure. Didn't come from the blog. I think it, it developed over time. Um, just you know, when we when we continue to see the need for it in in various ways. So no, I, I don't think it did.
0: Do you think this is a natural evolution of your military career? They're like, yeah, of course, if I'm going to have the experiences I had, if I'm going to do the years I did, I'm going to need to unpack and I'm going to, and that's going to take me on an adventure that may, that ended up here. And this is a natural evolution. Or do you feel like it's really been a 180? like you really just did a total gear shift and you're, you're, it was a different change of pace and change of gear
1: from where you were. Dude, I'm just figuring it out every day. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't think it was a natural evolution at all. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, I remember like years ago, I had, I've, I've had many friends start many successful businesses. And I remember, uh, I don't remember when it was, but I remember thinking like, oh man, that would be pretty cool, but I don't have an idea. You know, I don't, um, and I was for sure smart enough to recognize that like, the t-shirt company is not the answer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, which is, you know, why our our merchandise has always been like limited. Like Tyler and I have been always been adamant. Like we're never going to be like a t-shirt company. Um, you know, the merchandise is always going to be pretty clean cut, simple um, and, you know, limited. So um, yeah, I, I, for sure. Like I said, I don't remember when it was, I remember thinking like, Oh, it'd be pretty cool. Like if I could start something, if I could come up with something, cause I know like that I'm creative, but I was like, I'm not sure what the fuck it is, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I just didn't.
0: What does it mean for you now that karmic purgatory is out? Do you feel like a weight's been lifted? Do you feel like, yeah, I got that off my chest?
1: Um, yeah, I do. And I'm like, I'm, I'm super proud of that. There's always going to be things, um, that you you wish you had done differently and stuff but i you know with your own projects um but my my hope with that one is that uh cuz i usually end up hating my writing down the road sure. um and it's reassuring when other people do not but like i just hope uh that in like a year or two i don't like want to pull it um based on that, but I'm like, I'm still hanging my hat on it. I still feel like really good about it. So that's, you know, that says something. Um, I worked on that for, for a long time.
0: Yeah. When did that start? When did you start writing that or the work that ended up going into it?
1: Oh man, I couldn't tell you. It was, it was all fresh. Um, all of it was, yeah. was written like for that project. Uh, whereas like fact and memory, uh, Tyler and I's book, um, that one was, you know, there was some stuff that was like written when I was in Iraq. Like it was, Mm. um, it it was old. Um, some of it, and some of it was written specifically for the book, but like karma purgatory was all new stuff. How much
0: writing did you do when you were in?
1: Um, some, I didn't, I didn't shut it off completely. You know, I've, I've talked about this before, but like, uh, on our podcast, one of the common themes is like when, we talk to someone, typically they, they tell us that like, if they have, if they've been a creative their whole life, that they shut off that creative side during their military service, which is always like really interesting to me. Um, you know, that people can number one, that people can do that, but also like why they're driven to do it. Um, you know, and some people they'll say it's like op tempo, uh, other people, they'll just say like, Oh, I didn't want to show that side to anybody else. Um, you know, but I think that's the common theme is that, that they, they wanted to keep it hidden or sacred, whatever. Yeah, I, I certainly did. I,
0: yeah, for me, it was too hard. It was too much of a gear shift. If I had to get into that creative place, I didn't yeah. trust that I could make it back and and think, you know, left brainish enough to execute anything else. Yeah. Um, but so I'm, I'm fascinated when people tell me that they continued to write, you know, when they were in, and I'm like, man, fucking hats off to you that you could manage that and that you were, your pH balance was good enough that you could manage both.
1: And if I was, I mean, if I was, if I'm looking at it, like what I was doing at the time, it was notes, it was drafts, it was journals. It wasn't like, I don't think I finished anything at all. So well, that makes
0: sense, but you're keeping that you're keeping the, you're keeping the pump prime, just like getting the reps
1: in, like doing, doing something is better than nothing, but, but definitely was not, um, not developing, not, you know, I I was really just keeping, keeping it active.
0: What did you think it was going to become when you were writing it? Was it just like, I don't know. And I'll think about it later. Or did you have a, a, some end game in mind?
1: Uh, Nope. It just, it just was, it just was what I did. It's just, I mean, it continues to be that, um, just like what I do. Um, and, and it's always kind of been that. Do you ever let anybody see it? or only when you're Oh ready. yeah. okay. Yeah, no, um, no, it's actually really, really hard for me. Like, and some people I find are the same way, but like when you have a solid group for feedback, um, it's really hard to hang on to something until it's ready to send off. Um, which is a good thing. Like if you're that stoked on a piece, you know, before it's even like done, um, or, you know, ready for feedback at least then, um, then yeah. But, um, but no, I just had it happen. Like I was working on an essay, um, and I sent it to, you know, three people. Um, and it was like, just boom. I was like, ah, I, I was like, I need, I need eyes on this. I need, yeah. um, cause I kind of hit a wall with it and that's not necessarily the same thing as being done, you know? Right.
0: Right. When you, you knew, we talked before about how you don't, sometimes want to read other people's stuff when you're working on your own thing. But at this point, because you have looked at so much other work, do you ever look at your work now and go, boy, I've really made a lot of strides that I may not have made
1: otherwise. Yep, for sure. Um, and I've, I've definitely had um, things that were like influenced by other people. Um, and I, I, I try to recognize them or at least like, you know, give some sort of credit to them. Uh, you know, I've told uh, told people that the, uh, I had a poem called young man things that was in karma purgatory, but it was initially published in, uh, coffee or die. Um, I think it was the second issue of coffee or die magazine. And that poem was inspired by like a conversation with Luke Ryan about, you know, how he, uh, the way he lived his life, he wanted to go do some young man things before he, and I just like, like a lot of times for me, it's like a phrase that will start a poem or mm-hmm. an image Um, but always like one of the two and like that phrase, like just bounced around my head a bunch and I just started writing off of that. But, um, right,
0: right now, do you find yourself drawn to write about stuff from the past still, or are you kind of turned on by stuff around you and stuff that's happening right now more?
1: Um, I have not been writing as much poetry. Uh, and so with, with essays, I tend to write a bit more about the past, um, you know, with a contrast with the future, uh, or, or my present. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing lately. Um, but I think, I think it's a mix of both. I don't think anybody ever just wants to, you know, I had, um, I had a friend's band, um, who stopped playing. Uh, I can't remember when, but I mean, they had started the band when they were like 15, 16, and they were still at, you know, in their early to mid twenties, they were still playing songs that they had written when they were 15, 16. Huh. And they, and they were like, so we're going to hang it up. Cause like, this feels shitty. Like it just doesn't, yeah. like it doesn't yeah. make sense anymore. Like, you know, to write about what I was, you know, what I was feeling as like a suicidal 15 year old right. um, in, you know, in a locked unit, like that doesn't, embody who i am anymore so i'm we're gonna move on um thanks for coming out like and i was like man what a fucking cool thing like you know what a responsible thing to do
0: oh yeah self-aware thing to do for sure i mean the yeah. fact that they were that self-aware and, and, and hip to what they were doing the trap they were falling into mm-hmm. do you ever see yourself stopping to write
1: <clears throat> stopping writing no. yeah um no but i think i mean to compare, I think like I I would maybe, uh, pull a poem or like, I mean, maybe not pull a poem, but like, I mean, at least not read it, like doing readings and stuff like that. Um, you know, or, I mean, I guess the benefit is that like, if you, if you get fielded questions, you know, if you had a question about something like from fact and memory, then I can speak on it differently now than I might have like three years ago.
0: Right. Right. Is there anything that you've written that you're abjectly ashamed of when you look back, you're like, Oh God, I'm so I'm different than that now. Or I would have written that better now. And I'm like, ah, it just grates a little bit where it just, you know, the sound of nails on chalkboard when you, when you read it.
1: Uh, yeah, they're in, they're all like on the pages of ripped out notebooks <laughs> in the bottoms of topins. <laughs> and none of you will ever see them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, I mean it, I mean it's a sign of um, it's a sign of growing as a writer. I think I think when you have that level of, you know, you talk about sacrifice your darlings, it, you got to start with sacrificing what's yeah. not darling. You know.
1: Well, if you like, I mean, it's just like submitting something for feedback. If you um, if you submit uh, something for feedback and they say it's fine, then they, they didn't look at it hard enough. And I think it's the same way. If you love what you wrote you know, years ago then you probably haven't developed as a writer. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What, what, uh, forms, what mediums of writing interest you the most, whether it's reading them, whether it's tackling them, would you ever be interested in doing creative nonfiction? Would you ever be interested in doing, uh, you know, pure out and out fiction? What, what, what turns you on now? Is there any form like that that you feel like is still undiscovered country?
1: um yeah i mean yes like no doubt uh i'd like to try everything you know i I just um watched that joan didion documentary Mm. not too long ago uh where they were talking about her play you know how like they kind of pushed her into it because she was like all all reclusive at the time and and um and they pushed her into it and she's like i don't know shit about writing plays like and you know she did that um and then i also like i said i was uh i crushed like two Stephen Graham Jones books, um, within like a month or two. And what's cool about him is that like, when I started to look at his catalog, it's so extensive. And he started like his early, early work isn't horror. So he started with like, you know, stories about reservations and like bikers and shit. Mm. And then, and then he moved into horror and then he's got some other stuff too. And the horror kind of varies like between, um, like I just finished, uh, the only good Indians and it's the way that one is. And the way that uh, mapping the interior, the novella that I I first read um, it's kind of like contrasting, like native folklore with his own style of horror. Mm. Um, So they, they both kind of serve the same purpose and, and it's really cool. Um, But you know, I think he, he just really like, is like, yeah, I'm going to try. And I mean, he teaches as well. Um, but I think he's like, I'm going to try to write like something of everything. Um, and that's cool to my knowledge thus far. He fucking crushes it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not opposed to anything, but I definitely, um, I I'm for sure a person who knows what I like and knows like, I know myself well enough to know, like, I'm not going to do something I don't like just to say that I did it. Yeah, um, yeah. Necessarily, you know, especially if it's like a long-term project like that. So, so we'll see. I,
0: I think writing sometimes is like a process of hunting and gathering, right? Like you, you go out and maybe there's something you have to unpack. You've had some experiences. Um, it gives some perspective, or maybe it you learn some characters or something from it, and then you have that quiet time to kind of write, ideally, and mine that. Is that how it's been for you? And do you feel like you need to go hunt now because you've got kind of a lot of gathering activities, but it's like, hey, you know, maybe a good cross country trip would give me a whole lot of fuel. Or do you feel like, no, I've got a shit ton of
1: stuff that I need to still mine through and I want to say, and, and it's going to take me a while to get through this pile. Uh, sometimes it comes in seasons and when it doesn't, when there's not a full season. Um, you know, sometimes when it's a fluke, like I'll, I'll really have to like pay attention to it and, and dedicate, um, myself to it. Uh, but that, that is what I find for sure is that like, it'll, it'll come in seasons, you know, interesting,
0: dude. Um, I really appreciate it, man. And I appreciate it, especially cause I know you, uh, woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. So for sure uh, the wrong side of the bed, <laughs> listen, man, this was awesome. And, um, such a fan of everything you guys are doing. Um, it's great. As you know, we've had a lot of your writers on this show and um, I hope a lot more. And uh, you, you guys have not made a wrong step as far as I can tell, because every writer we've had on, I've really enjoyed their work and I've enjoyed reading it. So um, look forward to more and what see more, what you guys are up to, but uh, oh, yeah. thanks for hanging out, man. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris. That was the savage wonder of Keith Walter Dow. You've been listening to savage wonder, the podcast about warriors and artists and a production of the Veterans Repertory Theater. As always, you can check out the latest and greatest with us at vetrep.org. That's vetre porg vetrep.org. It is the one-stop shop to find out about all of our lines of effort and what we're doing. So Keith talked during the episode about how he started a blog, and then eventually those connections that he made uh, ended up morphing into Dead Reckoning Collective. Um, we have a blog as well, but we've integrated it, I guess, right from the start with vet rep. Um, so if you like reading fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, subscribe to the Savage Wonder literary blog. Uh, the best way to probably do that is to go to vetrep.org, go to the now playing tab, and you will see the option to click on our literary blog and it'll give you the option to subscribe. Subscription is free. You can pay for one as well. You'll get the same thing. But uh, it is free, um, or you can just give us a little bit of money if you feel like it. You can also uh, subscribe to this podcast. Again, probably the easiest, most user-friendly way to do that. Go to vetrep.org, go to the Now Playing tab, and click on the podcast link there. So you can subscribe to it uh, on any platform. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please go ahead and give us a five-star review. Um, You can say whatever you want to us in the review. But if you could put five stars with that feedback, that would be dynamite because that does matter to us. There, That's not the only way you can give us feedback, of course. You can give us feedback on Instagram at Vet Rep Theater. That's V-E-T-R-E-P Theater. That's E-R, not R-E. Um, you can give it to us on Instagram. You can give us feedback on Twitter at Vet Rep Theater as well. Or on Facebook at Veterans Repertory Theater. So on Facebook, Veterans Repertory Theater. Theater. And I know nobody knows how to spell repertory. It is R E P E R T O R Y. And theater again is E R, not R E. If you want to submit your work to Vet Rep or to our literary blog, go to vetrep.org, go to the submissions tab, and you will see all the information you could ever hope to see about how to submit, what our requirements are, if you qualify, when our competitions are going on. Uh, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, et cetera. So that should answer all of your questions. Again, that's at vetrep.org and on the submissions tab. As always, thanks to our producer, Michael Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of the Veterans Repertory Theater. See you next time when we'll dive further into the savage wonder of it all.